0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and God has been good to us because we've been having such excellent conversations recently, including this week's with Stephen Argue. Steve is an applied research strategist at Fuller Youth Institute and a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. Now, not long ago, I sat down with Steve's colleague, Kara Powell, and the content and conversation was so good that I knew I needed to connect with Steve, who, along with Kara, co-authored an amazingly insightful book entitled Growing With, Every Parent's Guide to Helping Teenagers and Young Adults Thrive in Their Faith, Family, and Future. This is an excellent resource um, for every ministry leader. So, on this week's episode, Steve and I discuss practical ways that the church can come alongside emerging young adults and help them discern and grow into God's calling. Steve shares about vocational adulting citing important research that helps us understand the reality behind some of the assumptions we might be making about young adults. This includes things like moving back into mom and dad's basement or what college ministry looks like in a local church, and also phrases that we use thinking we're building bridges, which can actually build barriers. This is an absolutely fascinating and important conversation that you're going to want to share with your ministry team. I don't want to waste any more time, so won't you please join me in my conversation with Stephen Argue. Steve, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. So excited that you could join us this week.
1: Thanks, Jason. So great to be with you and your listeners. It's awesome. Really looking
0: forward to this conversation. I am too, Steve. You are a a researcher at Fuller Youth Institute. You're a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, and you spend um, your time really focusing on how youth and young adults are really navigating life and how they're being influenced by uh, their families, by relational communities like the church— how you know you also are study kind of the impact of culture, you know, the current culture on young people, and um, one of the areas that you've invested so much time and research into is is really what we refer to as adulting. You know, it's kind of a, a buzzword these days. Yep. Uh, you teach, you speak, you write extensively <laughs> on this this topic, including in your latest book, Growing With. Absolutely fantastic, and this topic is really. Um, as I see it, extremely helpful for us to understand, not only as parents, but also as pastors, as ministry leaders. You know What is the church's role in helping young people navigate this time in life? Mm-hmm. So Steve, to kind of just begin our conversation, um, this is a term that most have likely heard tossed about in some ways, but how do you define adulting?
1: Yeah, Jason, great, great question. And thanks for, for the intro. Um, I, you're right. I am a researcher and a, and a professor, but it probably we were talking about this uh, before we started recording, but uh, we're dads and I'm a dad of a 24 year old, 22 year old and 19 year old, all daughters. And so uh, as much as I think about this from a researcher and uh, from an academic standpoint, I, I think about it just as, as being a father and being a parent uh, as well. So this is a really important uh, topic uh, to me. And uh, in my previous life, I've also been a, a pastor as well. So I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the connection with the church and the opportunities that we have there as well are is, is also important. And so, uh, so thanks for that. And you're right. Uh, this idea of adulting is interesting. If you look on uh, Twitter and you were to do hashtag adulting, I think you'd find some very, very interesting comments. I think it's been used by young people tongue in cheek to basically uh, say that I think I'm doing adult things, but I'm not exactly sure. But <laughs> we've, tried to, uh, we've tried to take this word in the book and uh, and try to define it. And the way that we define adulting is, uh, is this way. It's our child's growth in agency as they embrace opportunities to shape the world around them. Our child's growth in agency as they embrace opportunities to shape the world around them. And I think key to this definition of adulting is this idea of agency. And what we mean by agency is that our, our kids, as they're maturing, are growing in owning and clarifying their own interests, goals, and values, right? As they're getting older, uh, a lot of times what I say um, to even my grad students is, is I want your voice to become clearer and louder. Uh, what, what's your voice in the conversation of the things that are important uh, to you? And so um, this idea of adulting, then we've divided it in two ways. One is this idea of relational adulting. How are they navigating their friendships, their romantic interests and in their own social communities and faith communities as they continue to grow? Uh, but then also, as you mentioned, um, this idea of really thinking about this idea of vocational adulting. How are they thinking about their service and ultimately their career and, and calling choices that they're making? making uh, in their lives.
0: Yeah, Steve, I I love that. I love how you break that down. And I think the, the idea of relational adulting is one that maybe is a, not that we have all the answers as ministry leaders or as parents even, but one that we can kind of tend to wrap our minds around a little more easily. But this idea of vocational adulting I'd really like to explore more deeply because it seems that many of us who are no longer young adults, right? Um, We tend to make some assumptions (laughs) about those who are, especially in this area of vocation. I mean, I can think of conversation after conversation after conversation I've had um, with people and just the assumptions that they're making. So Steve, why? Uh, I I think the why question is important for us. Why is it important for us as pastors, as ministry leaders to understand this idea of vocational adulting,
1: yeah, I think I think it's a great question, and uh, maybe I could uh, start uh, answering it in this way. I, I find that as I talk both with ministry leaders and adults, and even with um, emerging leaders and uh, and young people, it's often uh, the instinct of, of us older types, and I'll include me in that, um, to 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 use the phrase when I was your age. Mm and as soon as that phrase is offered i think for an older type they think that that's a bridge building phrase but what we're actually finding for young people it actually isn't bridge building it's more of a barrier because um for young people they're kind of like well when when you were my age there wasn't the internet when you were <laughs> when you were my age um you know we we had no concept of you know uh, whatever I, I like to tell uh old leaders sometimes, like you grew up in school with fire drills, like young people today grow up practicing lockdowns, right? Right, I mean, the the world has changed in in so many different ways that um, uh, it's not so much that um, we haven't experienced our own teenage or uh, young adult um, uh, lives or experiences. The fact is when we experience them, that makes all the difference. And so uh, what we're seeing, really, um, uh, with this idea of even vocational adulting, uh, is that it takes uh, longer for young people uh, to grow up uh, today. Um, the delay of the typical uh, markers of adulthood like marriage or career or children is are, are being started uh, later than average, up to uh, even five years later. And while young people uh, in some aspect choose this, it also isn't a, a choice. Um, education is more expensive, it takes longer. Uh, establishing careers and relationship and family is more complex and requires more preparation. Um, and so what you see happening here is uh, uh, a more preparation that's necessary for a young person to become uh, an adult and a contributing uh, member of uh, of society. And so, you know, I, I think what happens a lot of times is this, this gets misconstrued. Uh, us older types are sort of frustrated uh, with young people because when I was your age, I already had a job and two kids or right, whatever right. it might be, rather than kind of assuming that, hey, there, there's something that's going on here where it takes longer. On the flip side, of that, I think that um, younger uh, emerging adults or uh, or, or young adults sometimes misunderstand that and they think, well, that must mean that since it takes longer, I can treat my 20s like my teenage years, where I'm sort of haphazardly sort of working through my 20s and eventually I'll kind of get to to where I want to be. And I think the challenge that we are constantly um, telling um, Uh, those in their 20s, and we're encouraging even to ministry leaders, is to say, you know, the third decade of life isn't about meandering. It really is about investment. Mm. Uh, It's a question of saying who... Who am I starting uh, to become? What's important to you? Uh, How are you investing in your callings, your relationship, your development, and even in your spirituality, so that you can begin to live into the person you want to be at 30, rather than being surprised by when 30 comes around? And for most emerging adults, um, 30 is sort of a magic number. They kind of want to be on their way by the time um, it's 30. Some of the research would, would suggest that. So, you know, we just have this unique period in life where um, young people uh, need uh, longer uh, time to kind of find their way because of the preparation that comes with that. Uh, but they also need uh, the encouragement to continue to uh, invest uh, in that time um, uh, as well, thoughtfully and, uh, and uh, as helpfully as possible. And so this idea of especially vocation and uh, this idea of vocational adulting really steps into to that space.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating, Steve. It's interesting because we see this um, and delay may may not be the the right word. It may mm-hmm. be, but this kind of delayed, yeah. you know, getting roots established in in yeah. many many ways, right? What we typically think of as as you know, hey, we're kind of dialed into our our career path. We're uh-huh. dialed into you know family. Uh, maybe even starting you know having children or wherever that looks, you know, kind of that settling down, yeah, um we see that happening as you said later, yeah, um, I guess one of the things that um that I hear in conversation oftentimes is that it's this feeling, and you touch on this a little bit, but I want to kind of uh-huh. dig in a little more deeply because yeah. again, I think there are a lot of assumptions, but this idea that. Oh they're just you know they're they're just not really responsible, right they're just messing around right and the, and yeah. the, why can't they get it figured out because we did my generation you know we knew that's what we had to do right and, yeah, and so there's this kind of this this feeling uh or this sense that I get in a lot of conversations where I hear people actually kind of leading in that direction that um oh you know. These, these emerging young adults, you know, what are we going to do with them? Because, you know, <laughs> back when I was, you know, that age, I was hustling, yeah. you know, I was doing this, I had direction or whatever. And so there's a sense of that they're like kind of just floundering about and, and messing around instead of yeah. getting on with life. So yeah. talk to me a little bit about what what does research show that yeah. that kind of helps us understand that it's not so much that they're. Just, I mean, I'm sure there are some 20 year olds who are just messing around, but yes. but we had those in our generation. Every generation exactly. just had those people, right? Exactly. But, but this, you know, this kind of prevailing thought that, you know, oftentimes we hear that can't they just, you know be a little more responsible, get things dialed in and get life moving, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I, I think I, I love the way that, that you, you talk about that. Certainly, there's an element of choice. I don't want uh, us to pretend like those in their 20s are just perfect angels and, you know, and something's been done to them and they're just the victim. They, yeah. There is their own agency, as we've talked about before, and they have to make choices. And right. if they're playing video games in the basement, yeah, we probably need to have a conversation with them. However, You know, I think that what you're alluding to, which I think is important, is just to recognize the fact that, you know, our world has has dramatically changed. I mean, a generation or two ago, you could graduate high school and get a pretty consistent, well paying job that will allow you to actually afford a a mortgage on a home and you could actually settle down. Your employer had a thing called a pension (laughs) where they were committed to you for 30 years of life and you could be committed to them. So what was baked into society was a stability that we don't uh, see anymore. I have a colleague who teaches a senior seminar at a a college out east. And um, basically uh, he's saying to seniors, look, you need to reinvent yourself Uh, every five years because the economy is changing so fast and the uh, technology is changing so fast that you will be left behind if you don't reinvent yourself. We're even seeing this, I mean, there's some other... Uh, theorists out there that think about this that talk about this idea that um, you know there's this idea of sort of intergenerational uh, thinking where you have one generation and there's a bit of an overlap with another generation and some things change but they're they're, you know the generations have something in common as as life continues Um, but now they're suggesting that there's actually something called intragenerational, where instead of things changing generation to generation with an overlap Within a generation, things are changing so fast that the things that you and I learned in high school don't even, aren't even relevant to our lives to, mm. today. Like, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I like took typing class. Like, I don't (laughs) I I can't remember the last time I looked at a typewriter. Right. Right. You know, or, you know, I mean, it's just it's just sort of interesting how uh, life is changing so quickly that this is having an effect on on young people and the ways that they must navigate that. We're seeing um, that a lot of times with uh, with young people that the jobs aren't necessarily available. And even if the jobs are available, they're more um, they're more part time. Uh, uh, if you go to college, if that's an option for you, this idea of a four-year college um, uh, degree is almost non-existent. As a matter of fact, most universities don't talk about um, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior anymore. It's kind of like maybe freshman status or sophomore status, or I'm in mean, my Third, fourth, fifth, sixth year, because a lot of uh, young people are working and trying to go to school, and uh, college tuition has increased about probably about 200% since their parents went uh, to college. You have sky uh, skyrocketing uh, debt, uh, college debt that's there, and then the other thing that's been interesting is that the uh, the typical first job out of college now is called the unpaid internship. Which for, um, for someone that has a college degree, that's not necessarily very helpful. And if I could maybe just, uh, we could maybe critically reflect on our own industry for a second. I think sometimes churches are masters at the unpaid internship, right? Yeah. Like, come, and, come <laughs> and work for us. You're working for Jesus. You know, there, there's something here for you. We'll give you some great experience, but we don't have any money for you, right? I, I feel like in some ways we can point the finger, but maybe we have to actually think about our own churches and recognize the fact that we are actually contributing um, to the delay in that uh, we offer maybe some experience, but we don't necessarily offer any way to, to, to help with that. And this has um, created an interesting uh, dynamic, even uh, with, um, with some young people. This idea of when they think they're an adult is an interesting one. For them, one of the key markers for adulthood is not so much marriage or even uh, having a family, but it's, it's actually financial independence so what that means is this is we we find that a lot of uh, of young people in their 20s uh, almost up to 50% will at some point in time find a way back to living back with their parents again now a generation or two ago that would be considered an adulting fail right you'd right. you'd kind of like you know bow your head and kind of, you know, sneak into your parents' home because that would just seem like an adulting fail. Um, But I think in this uh, era, I think if a a young person is saying, look, I want to become an adult and part of that is becoming financially independent, I will go home and live with my parents so that I can save enough money to actually attain this adult status. Perhaps for this generation, the move home is not – um, walking away from adulthood, but is actually a path toward adulthood. So you have the same experience with two different meanings depending on the generation, wow. I think is really interesting, which I think is, can be really helpful for parents not thinking that they failed because their kids came back home. Now, right. when, they, when they come back home, and we talk about this in the book, I, I think you have to kind of have it a, like a little talk about... <laughs> what it means to live together um, and, uh, and it's not the same as high school. These are important things. But I, I think at the same time, I think it's an opportunity to actually encourage um, their growth toward adulthood rather than look at it as a complete uh, fail. And then the last thing I'd say about it is this, and uh, Karen and I um, just wrote a piece on this, is that I think, I think adults need to realize that this whole idea of um, sort of a, a work-life balance is non-existent to this generation. Um, and you hear this in churches a lot, like, well, you just need a balance in life, you know, you work hard, and then you you, know, you also have to find time for yourself or whatever. In a world with the technology that we have, and uh, in the jobs that our young people have, where oftentimes they're doing freelance work or they're available to their employers 24-7 um, there is no work-life balance uh, any anymore for them. They don't even they don't even understand that concept anymore. And if that's the case. Um, How do we talk to them about their calling, their care for their soul, a sense of being human in the midst of a world that's asking more and more of them at rapid pace than ever um, before? And so, you know, again, I'm not saying that anyone's to blame for that, but I do think it allows us to have a little bit of empathy for this generation to recognize the fact that they're not just choosing to kind of not grow up. Um, but they're actually trying to find their way and navigate a world where the rules have changed, and uh, the pressure is is much greater than probably in previous generations.
0: Yeah, Steve, I, I, that's that's very helpful because I think um, oftentimes we we step back when I say we, I'm saying um, older generations, right? We step back and we we try to assess and analyze, and we try to to make a decision, whether it's you know a conscious decision or not. But we're we're basically making a judgment call. Is this right or wrong? Is this good or bad? Right? It, yeah. You know, based on the, the behavior, huh. even, even the example you gave of, of them moving back in with mom and dad yeah. as a move toward adulthood, yeah. as opposed to what we commonly think of, yeah, you know, the joke of, yeah, they're they moved into the basement. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. You you know, because, and we see that, you know, talk about it as a failure, you know, they couldn't, couldn't make it on their own. Now they're in our basement. How are we going to get rid of them type of a thing so they can grow up, you know, that sort of a, um, so I think it's so helpful because again, and I know I've mentioned this a few times, but these assumptions we make aren't necessarily grounded on reality. They're grounded on just our perception. And so that's why a, a book like Growing With, it's so helpful because it helps us think through just like this conversation, you know, is helping us kind of walk through that there's a lot more involved in these behaviors and in these actions in this, this whole life than what we tend to just on the surface, you know, make kind of a snap judgment over. Uh, talk to me a little bit, Steve. I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about this idea of the church um, you know, pastors, ministry leaders who are listening yeah. in, how how does the church play a positive role? Yeah. In this stage of life, you know, currently as we see it in our world today.
1: Yeah, I, I think, that, and, and again, a great question. And you know, I, I, uh, my my perspective on this, I, I think is, um, I, I I think about it very passionately as someone who has. Uh, who is ordained and has been a pastor and cares deeply about the church. Um, I'm I'm constantly troubled by a narrative that that, that I hear out there. Um, And and it's sort of this idea of, uh, well, young people don't care about the church. They don't really care about spirituality. They don't want to be connected with the church at all. And, uh, And so this leads to sort of like the sky is falling sort of mentality. And I think a lot of times as ministry leaders, we kind of throw our hands up and kind of go, yeah, I, I don't even know what to do. As a matter of fact, the three questions that I get all the time from ministry leaders are this. The first one is, um, you know, where'd they all go? Mm-hmm. Where'd all these young people go? Um, fair enough. And then the second question is always, well, how do we get them back? Um which is interesting because the first two questions basically expect the movement of the young person and not the older uh, church in that sense. Wow, yeah. uh, but then the third one is, and if they do come back, what are we supposed to do with them? And that's usually asked in whispered tones. And those are really <laughs> honest questions, right? Um, and I, I think it's really, um, really crucial. I, and so I think there's a better narrative. And the narrative is this, is that I actually think that young people are looking for ways to live into a, a flourishing life Where what they do matters and is connected to something bigger than themselves. Mm. And I think what they're also looking for is they are looking for a group of people that is willing to take a risk in them in a world where your resume is never long enough, Mm. and there's always someone smarter than you, and your competition is not with the person across the street, but it's really with someone on the other side of the world. Who will take a risk um, with the young people in the communities of which they're part of? And so I I think that if if the church begins to recognize that it is a wealth of resource, think about not just resource with money, though there's that there, um, but of life experience. And I say to pastors all the time, I wonder if there's a community in our United States or in where the community that we're a part of that actually cares about intergenerational things. I wonder if there's a community that actually cares about young people and actually tries to gather and do life together. I wonder if there's any sort of institution like that. And that's when we look at ourselves and we go, yeah, it's the church, right? <laughs> like, you know, the, the church is bursting with good news that young people want to hear. And so if we keep telling ourselves that young people don't care about the church, we're going to miss the chance to recognize that if we actually think about what it means to invest uh, in young people and, and advocate for them, uh, I'm convinced that they'll be lining up out the door because that's what they want. Now, what I, I, that sounds really inspirational, but what does that look like? Well, right. maybe a couple things to think about. Really, really basic. Here's a, a really great preaching tip. Like the next time you do your sermon, think about who's in your audience. A lot of times we default to our own experiences and we usually speak to about the 45 year old family with the two kids and the dog, right? Which is fine. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is though, is that if we want to think about our whole community, um what about the 24-year-old uh, graduate student female who just moved in from another uh, part of town and she is just trying to find her way in a man's world because of the industry that she's in and she's trying to find community what's good news for her mm. can we speak to our young people to say hey we know we know you're out there i see you in the audience can you even say simply i know that it's hard to to find your true calling sometimes as we think about God's calling in your life. I mean, even just simple words like that will speak uh, a sense of hope to a young person that's trying to navigate their way. And basically what we are saying to them as a church and especially as leaders is, hey, I see you, I know you exist, and I want you to know that I I really want to understand where you are are coming from. That's just a simple way. Maybe a more dramatic way is probably this, I'm not convinced, um, and for those uh, pastors out there that already have this, I'm sorry, I'm not convinced that college-age ministry is a good idea. And the reason for that is this, is that I was in a situation once where um, I, I was overseeing like kids up through like 30-year-olds. Uh, I had a team of people. And uh, and they said, oh, great, Steve's here. Uh, he, he's he been doing work on young people. We don't have a college-age ministry. Let's ha- Steve make a college-age ministry. And so what I did is I, I said, okay, before I do that, I'm going to go talk to college-age people. And I said, so tell me what you want. And and they said, well, what we really want is um, uh, we want somebody to like, share a message, but not like a big preachy one. I'm like, okay. And then I <laughs> said, well, what else? And they said, well, we kind of want um, – uh, a chance to maybe break up in smaller groups and kind of talk about our lives. I'm like, okay, great, we, well, that's great. And what else? They're like, well, we like we like music, but maybe just like more of like an acoustic guitar, not like a big band or anything like that with lights or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, anything else? They're like, no, that's about it. And I realize what they wanted. They wanted youth group all over again. Mm. And it's at that moment I realized that if we're going to pastor our young people, we need to recognize the fact that we don't um, we don't serve young people by asking them to relive youth group all over again. We're asking them to relate to our churches as teenagers again rather than as young adults. And that's formation backward rather than formation uh, forward. And so I began to say, well, what, what do we do instead? And we began to realize that maybe some of the ways that Um, what young people really need is they needed agency in their own calling and their own spirituality as they related to the church. And so we began to say, where do you see pain in the world? And what do you want to do about it? And then we gathered some business people who oftentimes feel so guilty about church because they're in business. And we always like rip on the business people unless we need money from them. But we just (laughs) said to them, "You know, what what if you would help some of these young people actually make a proposal where they were to try something for a year and we'll give seed money to see what happens with that. And so, um, we started this program where instead of trying to like plug our young people into already existing programming in the church, we began to allow their voices to be the prophetic voices of our community that showed us where the hurting was in the world in in our community and began to say, well, what would you do to make the world a better place and to do something about that. And then you have these business people that are like helping them actually make it sustainable. And literally, ministries have been birthed out of our church because young people had a vision and there were older people in the church that actually were willing um, to invest in that vision. And so these are the risks that I think that we need to take um, that help young people think about their vocational adulting and step into that space rather than trying to somehow shut that off or uh, force them to just basically um, uh, perpetuate uh, a current structure that is there's nothing wrong with that. There are gonna be some there are gonna be some young people that are gonna love, you know, working with a children's ministry or, or or youth group, but they have this deep desire to really express. A passion that they have and the skills and gifts they have in unique and profound ways that really touch on their world where they see pain in the world. And so we have an opportunity, I think, um, to treat our uh, young adults as prophets rather than pariahs, right? To actually listen to their questions because those are the questions of the day that, um, that keep us fresh and keep us uh, dare I say relevant um, to the conversations that I think our communities are are having?
0: Yeah, I love that. I love those um, very practical ideas on how we as a church can kind of come alongside. Very, very, very cool. And as you're talking, I was thinking about a zillion different things, and you know, mm. just envisioning like um, how churches can really move into um, something where it's not so much doing ministry for them, yeah. but kind of coming alongside of them more, yeah. which is. Uh,
1: or maybe growing with them,
0: right? Yes, yes. Just like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. One of the bits of guidance, um kind of practical ideas that you share uh-huh. in the book, revolves around this idea of the keychain. Yeah, yeah. Can you explain to us? Because I, I lo- absolutely love this because I think this is something significant not only for parents but definitely for the church. This idea yeah. of the keychain. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. So um, we really picked up this term uh, idea of keychain leadership from uh, a previous book that some of my colleague Kara and some of my colleagues wrote called um, Growing Young. And um, the idea was, is as leaders, is to say, how do we actually pass on leadership to a younger generation? And the metaphor, the symbol that we use is this idea of, you know, you sort of give the keys to. Uh, the young person when they're finally ready to, to, say, drive the family car, right? There's something that happens in that moment where it's much more than instrumental. There's something symbolic about saying, I trust you with this. I believe that you can do it. I want you to take and do this on your own. And so we think that within our churches, I think this idea of keychain leadership is really, really crucial. But I think what we did is we said, you know, there's an element of that too. It's just this idea of, of keychain uh, parenting, you know, how do we as parents continue to communicate, um, to, uh, our, our children that, Hey, you've got this, we trust you. We want you to continue to step into, uh, God's calling in your life. And how do we help you with that? And I, I think this is an important conversation because what we discovered is that about 55% of young people, um, uh, only can identify their passions and skills, and uh, and a lot don't. I feel like young people are sort of overprogrammed a lot of times in their teenage years, where um, they are prepared for college, but they aren't really prepared to know who they really are. And so, I think a lot of times what you see with college students is they finally make it to. Uh, the college of their choice, and then after the first year, they completely changed majors. Why? Because all of a sudden, they had time to actually think about, well, who am I really? What am I really about? And what do I want to be? And so as parents and as leaders, <clears throat> I think what we can do is continue to ask young people and have those conversations about uh, what are they passionate about? Uh, what's God calling them to? And then how do they actually invest uh, in that calling. I I, uh, I co-wrote another article with a, another, actually, emerging adult, which was really great to write with her together, but we just talked about this idea that um, we tell young people all the time that they can be anything, but I think what they really want is to be something. Mm. And, you know, what does it mean to actually get them to learn to articulate what's stirring in them about how they want to invest their lives? And that's a that's a hard question for a, a, a young person because they've been told all their lives they can be anything they want. So when you say yes to something, and we've all experienced this as we as us older types, right? When we say yes to something, it implicitly means that we have to say no to something else. And a young person feels the joy and the exhilaration, and also the lament of making these big. Sort of life choices along the way, and so they need someone to come alongside, saying, "Oh, you feel both? Exactly. That's that's a normal feeling. That means that you're stepping toward something, and let's talk about that some more." And you know, I I know um, for all the parents out there, I mean, this can be an anxious journey because I think either explicitly or implicitly, we sort of have expectations, or at least hopes and dreams about what our kids are going to become, and. Uh, a lot of times, probably most of the time, uh, our kids don't realize our dreams. How dare they? Yeah. Right? Um, and so there's something very transformative, I think, um, for us as adults as well, to ask some hard, critically reflective questions about well, where are my expectations coming from? Are, are these about my kids or is this more about about me? Where do I have to let go of control and where do I have to lean into supporting um, what uh, my kids are actually sensing that God is calling them, uh, too. And so to hang in there with those conversations, I think is part of this key chain parenting where we are saying over and over again, um, you've got this, I believe in you. Uh, I don't exactly know about that major cause I'm not familiar with it, but I'm willing to, um, to walk with you as you, and have a conversation with you about it as you, as you, as you navigate that. And, you know, I think what young people need more than anything else are, are sounding boards, whether from trusted adults, or this is where I think the church comes in as well, to sort of test their ideas and um, and have people reflect back to them uh, the way that they're, um, we're, they're teasing that out. Young people are deathly afraid of failing. Mm. And I think a lot of times we set up cultures where we don't allow a place of failure. But remember, failure is not Bad failure is just a part of life. It's through our failures that we that we actually learn. If we live a life where we never take risks and fail, we basically are living a pretty truncated life where uh, we really won't learn or grow in the areas where we need to grow. And so, you know, I think if we can create a sense of grace for that in our families, and quite frankly, I think also in our churches. Um, that would be. Uh, that'd be remarkable. And I, I'm telling you, again, I think young people would gravitate to that kind of space because the spaces that they spend most of their time in are spaces of competition and comparison uh, and, uh, quite frankly, critique. Mm. And what they need is spaces of affirmation, uh, assurance, honesty, and, quite frankly, a relationship. Um, someone that's going to stick with them through the long haul, through the highs and the lows.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And that's so true because it. I mean, that's absolute reality for our young people is that everything is a comparison or everything is a competition. I mean, no matter where you are, no matter what's what what facet of of life you're involved in anything, whether it's, you know, schooling or work or sports, which we think of, you know, oh, yeah, competition. But just in recreation, I mean, just social media, scrolling through social media, there is this, you know, this pressure of comparison and that sort of thing. So the, the church being that place of grace and that, that almost a, a haven, a, a place where they have freedom to um, explore and yeah. to, to try to, you know, stumble through some things because that's part of, like you said, it's part of life it's part of yeah. growing this part of maturing. And, um, and, and if we can create those environments within our churches um, to encourage yeah. that and to walk alongside, and to you know, whenever there there are failures, you know, hey, let's let's think through this. Let's talk through this. Um, I think that would be a beautiful thing as well.
1: I, I completely agree. Yeah, and again, I, I you know, this is what churches do. We know we know how to do this, right? This yeah. News. This expresses the gospel, and so, you know, I I have tremendous hope again that as churches and as leaders, if we can actually think about these things, I think it really can um, serve. Uh, young people uh, well, because I think they actually, they want to become adults. They want to live their lives. Um, And I think they're working hard to get there. And I think if we start there rather than, oh, they just want to goof off and I wish they'd grow up, I think I think what you're going to find is um, young people begin to trust you like, OK, you're, you're understanding my experience a little bit and maybe you can actually help me rather than just be one more um, critic in right. my life. They've got they've got enough criticism in their life. They they know that they're messed up. I mean, you don't have to tell them that. You know, what yeah. I, mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, they've got plenty of examples of perfection and they know they're not. right. right? So, yeah. You know, I think what we have to do is call out um, the best in them. You know, and we talk about this in the book a little bit. I mean, I, I do this with my kids and I do this actually with my students as well. Is, You know, I think we have to remember that the gospel starts in Genesis 1 and not Genesis 3. Yep. That in Genesis 3, if we start there saying we're sinners and, and that's our starting point, um, I, I think the narrative misses a crucial piece that in Genesis 1 that we're— you know, in the beginning, Genesis one and two, that we were made in the image of God. Now, so are are we sinful? Yeah, I mean, there is the fall. We 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 have uh, we have sinned, and that's the that's the the downside of our, our humanity as well. But um, but I think what uh, instead of reinforcing that we're messed up, I think what I keep telling my kids and my, the, the the students that I work with is. Um, you made the image of God, Let, let's call out the best in you. Mm. I'm surprised you act that way because that's not who I see you to be, right? I mean, let's that's the that's the image, that's the vision, right? To live into all that God has created us to be rather than to somehow apologize for our lives because we're sinners, right? And you know, I think so I think there's just tremendous hope if we actually hold that posture. And again, I think that's great news for young people who really need to hear that.
0: Amen. I love that. So good, Ooh. Steve. Man, it's been so good to uh talk with you today. Great conversation. Um mm. could go on go on forever, actually, talking about, <laughs> about this. And it's in um, like we said, I mean, you and I are talking even even before we we jumped on here. This and, and I'm not just saying this to say this, but this is um critical conversation that our churches need to be having right now. And mm. in some ways, it's been a challenge to find resources to adequately kind of walk through this and think through this. Mm. And I think we've, we've kind of gone with kind of our, um, more of our knee jerk reactions or just, you know, from our gut as opposed to stepping back and, and slowing down. And that's why I'm so thankful for growing with, um, Mm. the book that you and Kara wrote, because it does walk, walk you through a way to really process through, you know, backed by research, right? This, this isn't just, you know, some ideas that you guys, you know, sat around at a coffee house and came up with backed right. by research, but then also practical, you know, like um, experiential things that, that you have, have seen. So that all that brought together to give us a framework to think through, how is it that we can help really help teenagers and young adults in this um process of discernment and understanding of who they are and, and where God is leading them, which is what we want. Like you said, you've said this multiple times. That's what the church does. That's who we are, yeah. right? But, yeah. but sometimes we get so caught up in so many other things and we make, like I've said, these assumptions. And, and I, I really encourage people to take, uh, I mean, if you, if you, uh, you know, have young people in your life in any way, whether it's your own or you know, in your ministry, in your church, um, this is something that we need to um, really dig into. So that yeah. we can be who we need to be as the church, and as parents, and as you know, adults who who love uh, young people deeply, right? Absolutely, so.
1: Jason. I wish I could just take you on the road with me. I don't think I could have said it better. Thanks, <laughs> uh, thanks for that. You know, and um, you know, my colleague Kara Powell and I. I mean, we uh, we always say that we wrote the book that we wish that we had when we were youth pastors. Mm. Like sometimes you just you want to serve parents, you want to advocate for young people, and you know, you get the question all the time, do you have a book that could help me? Uh, and parents just sometimes feel really alone. Uh, they feel like they're the only ones. Uh, right. and we wanted to write a hopeful but uh, practical book that's backed by research that uh, actually does that. And the other thing that we tell ministry leaders a lot, too, is, you know, uh, parents don't trust us because they don't know, care, or me. But they trust you as as leaders and pastors in their lives that have walked with their families. And so um, we hope that uh, perhaps you can trust our resource and connect it with the people that trust you. And um, we can just uh, we can serve uh, families and parents and, and young people well so that um, that we can come alongside uh, the great work that churches and church leaders are are doing all over the country and, and all over the world. And so let me just say to all your listeners, thank you for the work that you do. It matters. We are so grateful for you. Don't give up what you're doing. Don't forget um, that your work, uh, it makes a huge difference mm-hmm. in the lives of, of people. And um, we are just deeply, deeply grateful.
0: Wow, that's a good word, brother. Good word. Well, mm-hmm. Steve, thank you so much for being with us. We will have links to, to the book um, in our show notes. If, if people want to connect with you directly, is there a way that they can... Uh, find you on social or, or contact you somehow?
1: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, you can always, uh, uh, look up the fuller youth institute.org, uh, which would be great. Uh, and then my Twitter feed is Steven argue, uh, with a V and it truly is argue. That is the last name. I'll let you have all the fun you want with that. (laughs) Same with Facebook and Instagram as well. And then I also have a website called stevenargue.com. So um, happy to connect with you uh, and to serve uh, you in any way.
0: Awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you for being a resource to to the church. Uh, We certainly appreciate all the great work you do and uh, appreciate having you with us on the podcast. God bless you. Thanks, Jason. Grace and peace.